Hello and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. Um, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. We're super excited to be here. We're going to be touching on some controversial topics today. Um, we are going to be touching on pro-life, pro-choice. So why don't you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, okay. So do you want to go like straight into it, or you want to like talk about the context of the Parsha first? Let's define pro-choice, pro-life then talk about context, and then weave it together. Oh, okay, I love that. I love that, amazing. love that weaving idea. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, great, okay. So, um, the, the pro-life, pro-choice, just on the surface of it, looks like, a, it, it's like if, they, if they were like two boxers in a ring, one was like pro-life and one was pro-choice. Don't you think the pro-life boxer would be like pulverizing the pro-choice person? I mean, I stand for life, right? Uh-huh. I'm about life, and you're about choice. In other words, do I stand for the value of life, and then there's another side to it? Like, if you don't stand for life, then what do you stand for? Choice and death? So I'm just saying, just thinking about it clearly, plainly, the whole thing as much as you can spin it, which it's been spun completely out of control, is just on the surface of it, like, not even fair. <clears throat> like, if I was a pro-choicer, I would feel pretty, like, uh, like you know, it's like the boxer again in that side where he knows he's losing, so he's just swinging wildly in all different directions and making up stuff and dancing around. I don't know, you're not into boxing, but if you've ever watched a boxing match. The guy who's like clearly stronger and you know can pulverize the guy. So the other guy who has to make up, he has to do all kinds of things to compensate. So he dances around the ring and he hopes to get lucky, like give him a sucker punch or like psych him out. But the guy who's like you know just lumbering around, just waiting to get that guy over here so he could just like pulverize him to death with punches, is like that. It's like that's life. I mean, life. Nobody can disagree with life as being a value. So if you ha- it's like who would want to be on the other side of the ring when you're facing the value of life? What else is there if not the value of life? Okay, so I <clears throat> went into that not really knowing what you were going to say about each one, but now just to clarify then. The I didn't two, say anything are, yet. I know, I understand, I'm but there are... starting to frame the thing. I hear that, but I just, I thought that pro-life, pro-choice was almost synonymous, and now I'm hearing that you're saying on one side is pro-life which are going to be the people that spearhead the value of life. And then there's going to be on the other side, or a different position, pro-choice, which are the people who are going to spearhead the value of each person making their own choices, and that is a value in itself. Yeah, well, didn't, I mean, what... I wasn't clear about that when we started. (laughs) I mean, don't... You've heard of the discussion before. you heard of the argument. Yes, I just didn't put two and two together, and I'm like, oh, okay, those are the two things that we're talking about. In my mind, you were like pro-life, pro-choice, and I was like, they're in the same category, and I'm like, oh, I hear what you're saying now. So, uh, definitely not in the same category. <laughs> this, is, this is, you know, this is the way it's framed as, now, what is the context of this <clears throat> great divide? 
in, <clears throat> in Occidental life, because it's an Occidental issue, by the way. Mm -hmm. in, in the East, um, they have totally different ways of looking at uh, fetus and the importance of life and vis-a-vis -vis unborn fetus and stuff like that. But the, the context in the Western civilization is abortion, okay? So are you willing to um, allow <clears throat> abortion under certain circumstances? And some, the most radical pro-choice is that it should really be up to the woman, period when she wants to abort the fetus. It doesn't matter. Some, some wild pro-choice uh, positions will say even up to co almost complete term. In other words, even up to term, um, the, the woman should have the, the ability to, to choose to terminate the, 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 the existence of the fetus. Mm -hmm. So if she wants to do abortion at eight months, it's in her, she can do that. Because that's where the line comes in, my body, my choice, right? That's the my yeah. choice position. It's... Right, it's the right to privacy. It, it's it, the, the right to privacy is basically trying to latch on to some <clears throat> law that uh, in the Bill of Rights that uh, that gives sense to why the, the the woman's body would take precedence over the life of the fetus, and the and the and the answer is is because the the, the right to privacy means that what I choose to do in my own private body or my own private space is my business mm -hmm. right up to as long as I don't inflict mm -hmm. you know damage on anybody else right which of course again mm -hmm. skirts the issue right because nobody could say the right of privacy allows you to kill people in your house right, right. Be because you're killing people in your house but um, and that affects others so if you're killing your fetus it doesn't matter if it's in your womb or if it's in your basement or whatever it is if you're killing a fetus so craftily the, 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 the position of pro-choice has always skirted the issue of, of the actual life force within the fetus. Is this a life force or is this not a life force? Is this life force within the fetus, which clearly makes it animate, even at a very, very young stage, very mm -hmm. early stage, does that f force um, constitute life so that <clears throat> it will take precedence over a woman who feels that she just is not ready to have this child. Mm -hmm. Can we for a second create a little, um, <clears throat> sp uh, I don't know, I'm thinking like a little like a parentheses. Um, and can you um, tell us halachically, I don't want to go into like a huge halachic discussion, but what would be the, per there? I know that there is a thing in halacha where a woman does come before the the if the baby and the woman are both in if the baby's danger, then, you know, so what, what would be the halakhic parameters for that real quick? And also maybe throwing out that, meaning, right, there's, there are circumstances for everything, um, and I'm, I'm hesitant to, to, all right, whatever, we're being controversial, so I guess we don't have to really, um, <laughs> I'm trying to frame things in a way that, you know, don't hurt people's feelings, but... We're being, I don't know, we're being controversial, but... Who, who's being controversial? I didn't say anything controversial yet. I think you said plenty of controversial things be, in regards to other people. I didn't say anything controversial. You think you didn't say anything controversial. What was controversial? I think that sometimes people would already disagree with the fact that you're saying that the fetus is already alive and that it's... Yeah, well, that's not controversial. It, that's what pro-choice people hold. But we, we didn't get to explaining yet. Okay, Just whatever, fine, 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 fine. Um, well, just let let's spell it out. Uh, the point the point is is that <clears throat> the point is is that 
What should really be framed as an issue of, is this baby alive or not? Does this baby's life constitute life like anybody else's life or not? That is the issue. And that's the only issue, because if the baby does constitute life, no one in the right mind would possibly, anyone that, God, you know, God forbid, nobody would say such a thing, uh, that if a woman is like angry at her child, who is two years old, she has the right to just like end the child's life because she just can't handle him anymore. She can't handle this baby. She doesn't know what to do with it. It's one years old, whatever it is, it's born, it's one years old. And she just says like, I've had it and she kills the baby. Nobody in their right mind is going to say that's the right of privacy because it's in my own home and it doesn't, I mean, the baby is only one years old. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a horrible thing to think. And I would hope that as the staunchest pro, pro-choice person would also be horrified. I'm hoping. So if they, that person is horrified by that, then if you just turn the clock back a year and you think about this child within the mother, uh, the mother's uterus, at seven months, eight months, six months, whatever it is, and you're dealing with a viable child already who can be born, and you say, what would the right of the mother be to end the life of that child? And they will say, well, it's still pro-choice because it's in her body. <sighs> you know, you're getting very close to, to murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you're asking me what the... Uh, that, that's, just, that's just something that, like I'm saying, if you're a pro-choice person like all the way, you're going to get pummeled. Because you're either going to have to take a very radical position about life in general, which is going to um, cheapen life, really, drastically. <clears throat> this is really why I'm talking about this issue in this week's Parsha, as we'll see soon. Um, or, or you're going to have to make some kind of a legalistic gymnastics you know, exercise to try to say, you know, and try to fool yourself into thinking that you're really not killing a viable life and... It's really, uh, and you put a lot of legal terms to it so that you make everybody kind of feel <clears throat> that we can camouflage the real issue here, call it something else, which is really what the pro-choice does because it's not popular to be anti-life, like I said. If it would be like pro-life versus anti-life, would that be in a contest? Would anybody get in the ring with a pro-life person if you're an anti-life person? Like, get out of here, you know what I'm saying? You're a nihilist, you know, just like, you know, you don't, you don't have space here. I hope that's the case. I'm saying with any still in our society, I think we could say that safely. Um, <clears throat> so just because you asked, so the halacha, the halacha basically frames it like this. Life is life. However, there are degrees to life. So you can't wantonly, uh, indiscriminately kill a child, even in utero. So when does the fetus bec- become considered a child? A child, a viable, so after 40 days. Don't ask me now to get into the details of that, but basically up till 40 days. Science is kind of parallels that idea. There's when the first, after the first cells uh, duplicate and triplicate and quadruplicate enough, and then there's a, there's, there's actually a life force in the baby. It's, it takes about that amount of time. So broad stroke, 40 days. Right. Broad strokes, right? Okay, so after that period, that doesn't mean that before 40 days, you could also, you know, indiscriminately dispatch the, 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 the whatever it is, the, 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 uh, cell the fecundado, I don't know how you say it in English, the fecunded, fertilized, <laughs> the fertilized egg, right? Mm-hmm. You, it doesn't mean you can just dispose of it. 
it's even a question if you can dispose of them in test tubes. <clears throat> but, right, but I was going to say there's a whole conversation even yeah, before yeah, about huge, preventing I, kids and stuff. There's a big okay. We're not we're not doing medical ethics children. though. We're not. We're not <laughs> otherwise, we're going to have to do a different podcast. It's like a, medical ethics is a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the uh, <clears throat> after the forty days, you're dealing with um, a, a more difficult situation as far as the, the ability to allow the abortion to happen, right? There will be certain cases, but all of those cases will be having to do with the um, physical welfare, physical, spiritual, not spiritual, physical or emotional, and therefore life-threatening uh, welfare of the mother, mm -hmm. a, a life-threatening <clears throat> situation that the mother would find herself if she would go to term with this baby. Mm -hmm. Okay, generally, generally speaking, that's the situation. Now, um, since the since the the fetus is considered to be life, right? It's considered to be a nefesh. It's considered to be a soul, right? So you don't you obviously can't just get rid of it because you know it's very difficult, or or you don't have the money, or you're you never wanted this child, or because you were raped, even, right? It, oh really? I thought there there wasn't there was a no, really. No, the only thing that rape would do is that if would the, how how flipped out would the mother be if she had to come to term with a baby that she she was wasn't that her own that would be no wasn't like, her own technically that it became somewhat, that it be, she became impregnated with by by because she was violated. Mm -hmm. You know what what would that do to her exactly if if she would have to be committed to an institution or whatever? So then clearly that has to do with a life threatening situation in the halacha because. People that are in, you know, flip out in these situations are are, are much more li liable to to uh, put their own lives in danger. Whatever. I I don't want to go through that those things, but you should just know that as far as the emotional, psychological self, that's also considered to be a, a reason uh, enough to cook, to do an abortion, okay? Mm -hmm. Because it's considered life threatening. But up the, to a certain period of time, though, right? No, no, no. Even up to the end. Really. Yes. That's surprising to me. No, but it's the same. What I'm trying to tell you is the same as if the, the, the classical case in the sources is the, the baby's about to be born and the mother's about to die because the baby's about to be born. Right. As the mother going through childhood, she can't, let's say, get this baby out of her. And if you, if you don't do something, she's going to die. Right. Right. This was much, 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 much more common back then, back when. I mean, like it is in some very underdeveloped countries. There's still like a high... Uh, you know, death and childbirth rate in very, very underdeveloped countries because, you know, it's, it's, it's a dangerous moment. It's a dangerous moment. It's moment. A dangerous, it's a dangerous uh, time. In any case, um, so, so, this, uh, so at that point, if, if it's mother versus child, mother trumps child. Why? Because the baby has not been born. Right? However, says our halacha, which you asked, if the baby even crowns and a majority of the head comes out of the, of the mother's uh, uterus, um, then, then we already apply in doch nefesh mitpnei nefesh. The baby is considered to be an independent life form, life being. And therefore, that would be like saying, the mother is like, I can't handle this child, so like it's either me or the child, or otherwise I'm going to jump off the roof. You keep, no one would consider killing that child. The child is an independent existence it's an independent human being right mm -hmm. so as soon as the baby even though the baby still needs to be birthed but even at 
the earliest moment where the baby is pretty much birthed and already could possibly breathe on its own because it's already out of the mother. Somewhat. Somewhat, right? And then it's considered its own. It's considered human its own, being. and even if the mother's going to die there on the on the table, then she's going to die on the table if the mother if the baby can live, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> um, so that's in a nutshell. Broad stroke halachic parameters. Parameters, right? So what what I'm saying is that like, if we think about the pro-choice versus pro-life meaning, like let's think about it, even perhaps even more than most people think about it when they think about pro-choice because I think most people today are just saying it's not, you know, rights and women's rights and people are trampling on women's rights and and like if you can get out of that forest of like the women's rights thing which is its own issue, right? And you just talk about the issue of the life of the child, right? Again, in this, I'm trying to you know, make us think of like this boxing ring of like one person is representing life and the other person is representing choice. What chance does the person who's representing choice have when they're staring down a person who represents life, what they themselves must agree to? If you're not pro-life, so then what are you? Right, meaning anyone who wouldn't be in essence pro-life is someone who does not value life, life and therefore would be fine with killing anybody. And we're, we're not dealing with you. Life isn't meaningful, doesn't really matter, anyone I don't think we're going to have a debate in the Western society about, you know, cannibals versus uh, regular dudes, you know. Let's bring a cannibal into the Congress and start, who knows, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, in this crazy topsy-turvy world. I think it's another thing that we have to learn from last week's Parsha, which is that sometimes, very often, a little bit more often than not, it's just better not to deal with things. You, you can't make everything a conversation just because some banana head is, decides that it's a conversation. Because the moment you make it into a conversation, then you've already given it credence, and if, it's, if it has credence, then it's going to happen eventually. So I remember you mentioning that like a couple years ago. Yeah, that, it's a very important thing I learned from my Rebbe. Is it the uh, Dun? Yeah, yeah. Hushin Ben Dun. Hushin Ben Dun. Right, that was last week's Parsha, right? It's like, you know, you have to look at things clearly, truthfully, without getting involved, because once you're involved... Then, then the distortions start happening, when, and, and it becomes a reality. Like you have a position, I have a position. Your position is also valid. My position is valid. And in today's world, that's like unspokeable, unspeakable to to be able to just cancel somebody's position. And I'm not saying you should cancel. I'm just saying don't deal with it. If somebody comes up to you and says, "I'm a Martian," you know, prove me wrong. I'm not talking to that guy. <laughs> you know I'm saying. I'm I'm pretty pretty open to having conversations about pretty much anything that might be somewhat interesting, but like I'm not talking to a guy who's, who's like who's flipped out. I'm saying I'm not not talking to that. As soon as I start talking to him, he'll start feeling that maybe he is a Martian. Really, hmm. I'm saying there, there's also in therapy also you can't deal with everything as if it has its own like you know uh, credence uh, has has its has its own validity know, validity right and not everything has validity. It really doesn't. I think that's such a controversial topic. I happen to agree with that, but it is. it does also like rub on my, I guess, millennial Yeah, because somebody because says, oh, I identify like a dolphin, so I want you to treat me as if I was a dolphin. Not even as if. I want you to be dolphin sensitive when you talk to me, you know? Right. No, like, so I do, like, I, I have my limits, but in my mind, I, I think that there is much more of a of a belief that to talk about everything is a good thing. And, you know, we, sh- we should be able to talk about everything. But you're saying 
talk about most things, but there are some things that are just, just not worth talking about because... No, not not worth. You just realize that everything has its... Uh, uh, everything has its... Um, you, nothing is for free. If, mm. you, if you take one choice, then you're closing other doors. Just, right. So it's not just like it's for free to talk about things, about anything. No, mm-hmm. it's not for free. Because if you choose to engage, so then you're giving validity to the thing. If you're giving validity, so then you also are part of the problem. You also are, are giving validity to something that you that, that really in the heart, your heart of hearts you think has completely insane and not valid. Mm-hmm. I personally think it's completely insane and not valid if a person says that they're a dolphin. <laughs> I'm saying the person needs psychiatric help if they really think they're a dolphin. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A person could say, I love dolphins, I would love a dolphin as a pet, I can... Even a person could say, look, I, I fantasized as a child of, of being a dolphin because I once saw one and I just love the way it's so... You'd have to break it down with that person. Like, what is it that they're seeing in a dolphin that they're trying to emulate or, or that they inspi- get inspired with? Fine. Mm. That's fine. But if a person says, no, I, I identify as a dolphin. Like, I am a dolphin in some way or another. And he starts learning dolphin sounds and eating dolphin food and <laughs> going to dolphin school. I don't even know it's what it would pool. mean. No, what I'm saying, it's so ridiculous. It's mm. like, it's, if, you, if you say, oh, I see, you know, let's talk about your dolphin identity, you know, like identity mm. is a big word. Yeah. Your identity as a dolphin? Come on. If you're a human being, you're not a dolphin. So you can't identify as a part of your identity as a dolphin. You could, like I said, I'm saying all these things are so silly to actually that we're actually talking about them, but. Hot topics. Yeah. But the point is, when it comes to this also, if somebody has like a super radical position about life, you're not going to say, well, I don't believe in the importance of life. Okay, well, you know what? I'm not debating you about that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm not debating a cannibal who thinks that people could eat people anytime they want. Whatever. Let's say that that's what they believe. I don't know what they really believe. But Mm -hmm. so... So if you're dealing with a pro-choice and pro-life, let, let's just think about the, the, the ring again. So one guy is a pro-choice guy. The other guy is a pro, pro-life guy. So what kind of punches is the pro-choice guy in, on a conceptual level? Forget about the legal level, right? Mm-hmm. What about the, on a conceptual level? So what, what, what kind of punches is he throwing? So I could possibly say, right, and this is the interesting part to me, that a person says, without choice, what is life? Mm-hmm. On, on a very high philosophical level, there's some validity to that. Because a person could say, in the Torah, the definition of, human, uh, of humanity is the ability to choose. Right. So if you would take away someone's choice, right, so then you would be delegating that person to like a subhuman, mm-hmm. which is kind of like killing them. Mm-hmm. The problem, obviously, the, the obvious problem with that argument is that you could never take away somebody's choice. Right, that's the whole... Um, the inner remind choice. Me, remind me his name? The Holocaust who, who came up with the psychological... Victor Frankl? L- Frankl, yes. Lo- logotherapy? Mm-hmm. Like, even, even when all your physical choice is being taken away, we still have the choice of how we think about things, how we perceive things, how we react to things. Exactly. There's always some level so of So even choice. if there's a law that says, you know... Whatever you believe, you can't go kill fetuses, right? Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to kill a fetus because it's just like the law would say it would uphold pro-life and it would say you can't kill fetus just like you can't kill a human being at any time for whatever reason. You can't kill human beings. 
mm-hmm. period. Um, if, if that would be the, the, the position, that still wouldn't take away, that would limit your choice. But it's it's interesting because no one's complaining that there's a limiting of there's a limiting of choices in other fields. Like no one's complaining that the fact that you can't steal banks is a limiting of their exactly. choice to be, uh, I don't know, fully choosing civilians. Like why can't we steal banks? Exactly. The fact that we can't is not. So that so that like that is really short short circuits that argument on a conceptual level. But let's talk about it from a, from a, like a Torah level, and then let's see if we can get to the parsha. The the Torah says that there's three sins, even though the Torah is pro-life all the time, mm-hmm. right? It means that even if um, it means in order to save lives or your own life, it means you're going to have to break every single law, every single divine law that is written in the Torah. Mm-hmm. You break every single law without even thinking. It might, it's, it's even a mitzvah to break those laws. You're going to break all those laws. You're going to break every single law that you know in order to save life, mm-hmm. okay? However... There, there are, are exceptions. exceptions. <laughs> there are three exceptions. Now, we're not going to talk about the two exceptions that have to do with, um, that are somewhat between person and God, which has to do with idolatry and, and adultery, which is kind of This is interesting mixed. that it would be considered between a human and God, <clears throat> as opposed to a human and another human. What? Adultery? Well, I'm saying I think adultery is like a little bit of a, more of a mix than murder, because murder is the third one. Murder uh-huh. is you're ending somebody's life. So the law is basically that you cannot end somebody else's life even if your life is at stake. So the typical case in the classic case in the Gemara is a guy comes and says, look, I'm going to shoot you. The Nazi's there. He's going to say, if you don't kill this guy, I'm going to shoot you. That's it. You have to let yourself get shot and die. Right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because as the uh, Amora, the rabbi in the Gemara, Rava said, classically he says, what do you, why do you think that your blood is redder than his? Mm-hmm. which means there's no way for you to actively take somebody else's life, which would, is upholding your life and, 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 and destroying his life. Self-preservation to the extent that, it doesn't, that your life doesn't take precedence over someone else's in an active way, meaning you're not going to actively take away someone else's life and say, my life must be more important. Or for self-preservation, right. I'm willing to kill someone else. But I, what, I, what I'd like to point out is that that, that decision is, a, is the most pro-life decision, even though it doesn't sound that way. But it's basically saying, if you preserve your own life at the cost of somebody else's life, you're not pro-life. Because pro-life is that there should be life. So you're upholding the value of life by upholding that other person's life. Even though, on the contrary, you would be upholding your life, but that wouldn't be perceived as if you're upholding life. That would be just perceived as if you are being selfishly concerned about yourself. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's saying so, so... A person who's willing to take someone else's life is not holding up to the standard of valuing life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so, the, so the, the law is there to create, in the most dire of situations, of course, we would never want to see such a situation, but it certainly has happened in our history, where you're actually, the upholding of life is the tremendous Kiddush Hashem, is like the great sanctification of what God means um, by sanctifying life and saying, I'm about pro-life, and therefore my life is, 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 would be about self-preservation and selfishness. And this is about the, the, the value that God wants us to uphold in the Torah, which is that life is supreme over everything. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because normally it's seen not that way. 
Normally it's seen like idolatry, if a person has to give up their life in order not to do idolatry, so you'd say, well, is that a pro-life position? No, that's not, a, that's, not, that's not about the value of life. That's not about the supreme value of life. That's about the supreme value of that. If there's no God in the world, then there is no life. Mm-hmm. And you're upholding, you're upholding the long-term value of there must be God in the world. There must be the belief of God in the world. If there is no belief of God in the world, then our lives are worthless. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it, takes the, it takes the value of life one step higher to its more essential Yeah, so that's a harder, that's, that's, a, that's a whole different schmooze. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the reason why this has to do with the Parsha is because we're faced with uh, a very difficult, you know, uh, sliding into slavery that's described in the beginning of the Parsha. And you're dealing with the heroines, anonymous heroines, uh, women, who are faced with the task of committing inf- infanticide. Infanticide. Yeah. And basically disposing of all these children that are born. That they, they, they didn't, I guess they didn't do abortions. It's interesting that they didn't ask them to actually find the women that were pregnant and destroy the, the babies in utero. Did right. they have that kind of technology? I, I don't. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was. Maybe that would threaten the life of the mother as well. I don't know. They, you know, that wasn't the decree. The decree was you need to dispose of the children. So that supposedly they were. They were. You know, charged with this thing, horrible thing. And instead, they They not only allowed and secretly allowed the children to live, but they actually took care of them to whatever they could, and they looked after them, and they hid them, and they did whatever they could. Right. Mm-hmm. And the names of these people are anonymous, right? Which is an interesting thing. And so I just want to say, we don't have that much more time, but basically, um, the, the way I think it's important to read uh, the Torah in general is in real time. You, know, you, can't, you can't come with assumptions about this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and why does it happen, and try to fix, fix things you know, backwards, retroactively. You have to see them in real time. Is that like each... A, a, part of the episode is contributing to the outcome of that episode. It's as if you are there. If you are there and reading and, and being part of this story, the, the, the circumstances that are being described are contributing to what follows. It, it's, it's never um, haphazard the way it's described. It's that, so if you have a story, for example, between Avram and the angels, and then after the story... You know, Rivka is, is Sarah is told that she's gonna have a child. So everything that takes place before that leads to what follows of her being told that she's a child. If they would have behaved in different ways, then there would have been a different outcome. Meaning, nothing is independent. Yeah, it's not. You, you need to see it, especially in the narratives. You need to see it as a like in, like I call it in real time. It's just like you're you're everything is um, being put to test. How people are going to behave is going to determine what is going to follow, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's like a big test. And, and, and you're able to look backwards at it, look retroactively at it, like you look to back in time at it and say, oh, and so, so basically, you know, we all know, you know, the Jewish people, the, the Israelite people end up leaving Mitzrayim. But what contributed to them leaving Mitzrayim? It wasn't just like, you know what I'm and saying? And then they left. We ha- there's right. history we behind we it. We always have that childish way of looking at it. It's like, you already know the story, so you already know what's going to happen, so you just kind of like read it almost as like a, a bystander. But if you read it actively, you're, re- you're trying to discover what were the things that the Torah itself is describing that led to that. It, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't just orchestrated because. Right. 
right? All the people's inputs created the difference, which is what we say always between the, 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 how the interplay of prophecy and human interaction with destiny works, because the destiny ultimately is melded, molded by what people do, right? So when you read the, so what I'm, what I'm saying basically is, if you read the beginning of the story of the, of the, of the slavery story, you know, leading to the Exodus, I think one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, how does the behavior of the people um, lead to the Exodus? Mm-hmm. That is why, the question will always be why this nation is picked out of anyone that became slaves in anywhere in the world to, to merit this incredible salvation, right? And what I'd like to say is that one of the things that is the most basic that has to do with our belief system is the supreme value of life. Mm. And that's what's being championed in the beginning. In the face of a massive abortion program, so to speak, or infanticide program, which was, like I said, similar to abortion, um, you're dealing with pro-lifers. You're dealing with people that are saying, we're not going to give up on anybody, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it doesn't really matter who it was because it's the championing of a value that really matters more than who championed it. Right, right. It's not like this one and that. Now, even though that's true, even though that's true, Right. Um, what's what? What you can read in in between the lines over here is that these anonymous people that were championing this championing this value end up being the facilitators of the redemption as well. Right. Because these anonymous people were none other, according to our Masorah, none other than Yochebed and Miriam, and Yochebed is the one who actually gives birth to the savior of the Jewish people, who ends up being Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Because of their program of saving everybody else's child, they're the ones that are become the, the direct instruments in creating a savior for the Jewish people. And Miriam becomes the one who ends up saving and making sure that the savior actually doesn't get killed. Mm-hmm. Right? So because of their concern for the greater value of, every, of life in general, they're the ones that, you know, so to speak, birth life you know, for on, in the, on the greater scale. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we have time for now. Nice. Huge topics. All right. Well, I hope someone writes us something about how this triggered them. <laughs> that could be an interesting conversation. Anyway. I'm not finding this triggering. Good, really, but, good yeah. Shabbos to everybody. We hope that you enjoyed. And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. And we are wishing you a blessed week, and we'll catch you next time.